God never gives a moment without a purpose. And our desire is that we might be partners in purpose with God. So that God's desire for this moment will be achieved. Because our God is faithful. And we have been faithful too. As we thank God, I want to thank all who have extended me such generous hospitality during my short stay here. I particularly want to acknowledge Bob and Ellen Stamps, uh, uh, who are dear, dear friends. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Eric and Patricia. Uh, I want to thank Kevin. But I want to thank each and every one of you. We express appreciation and gratitude to the administration of this school, to the teachers, and uh, to all who share. But there's a great lesson you learn in life. I'm actually hired as a consultant to go to places and to uh, guide them in developing diversity. And I always remind them that I can't develop diversity, God already has. <laughs> what God does is diverse. Look at this for a moment. No two zebras have the same stripes. No two tigers have the same stripes. No two leopards have the same spots. No two snowflakes have the exact same design. Uh, no two leaves have the exact same vein pattern in their construct. No two flowers have the exact same color. No two human beings have the exact same scent. The way the chemicals mix in your body that there is a scent that is distinctively yours. No two human beings have the exact same retinal pattern in their eyes. You can now scan your eyes. You can scan your palm print. There are those who even argue in your voice we can do fairly definitive identification by analyzing your voice pattern. None of us have the same two fingerprints or DNA markers. Meaning that when God made each of us, God made us not according to some mold that is stamped out in, in patterns of three, five, or ten, but each of us is a unique instance of divine destiny. There never was anyone like you, and there will never be another one like you. You represent and are imprinted by a creator who knows you before time to beyond time. And when I fail to respect you, I'm not disrespecting you. I'm disrespecting the God who made you unique. Because today I have the opportunity to meet a unique instance of God's creative presence. And so thank you. Today we want to share a companion to yesterday. See, uh, Kevin started all of this because he asked me to give him titles before their time. <laughs> I prepare multiple things, and so I'm always, I kind of have a schedule. Things are in my mind, but you're working and you're working. And at the time, uh, Kevin was saying, tell me what you're going to do when you come here. I was preparing to go there. <laughs> here wasn't on my mind. But after I got the 
email, as I said yesterday, I happened to walk down the hall and hear of several students talking about getting ready for their midterms and how they hope they pass. And that's what came to me in reflecting on that text with Abraham. A major test that all of us who are in preparation have to pass. And then it brought to mind another test that came to me when I sat where you sit. And even though that has been several decades ago, I still remember a moment in my formation that has counseled me and been critical for me. There were a group of us who were ready to graduate, having one of our little festive moments in a restaurant, breaking bread, and celebrating our accomplishments and our ministry. And there was an elder pastor there who had never even been to seminary, and he was listening to us. And one of us was already pastoring, and he was talking about, yeah, I'm going into my second year, and the church is booming, and this and all of that. And he came and sat down next to him and says, now tell me, how, your church, how is your church doing? And my friend Earl, he said, well, we've added three new choirs, and 20 people have joined the church, and he named all these things. We are just about your programs or what you how's your church doing and my friend stumbled with the answer and finally he said the only appropriate answer to that question is do the people know and love God more today than they did when you started Amen. and then he turned to me because I had been bragging because, you know, I was getting ready to go into PhD studies, much to my surprise. <laughs> and I was telling him, man, I do that test out of order. I know some of you, you all never say that, you don't do that. But there were in my moments in, in my euphoria of getting an A, I wanted to let everybody know how well I And as the one 
the leader. Rather than saying, now you all serve me, wash my hands and fix my dessert, got up from the table and started serving the others who were there. Now, I'll let you all do all the exegesis about the significance of this in Johannine literature and also the contextual implications of what was happening at the table. Let me just highlight some suggestive observations that emerge from an analysis of the event. Look, Jesus got up, took off his outer garment, and began to wash his feet. First of all, why? It says that Jesus knew he was from God, going to God, and had the power of God. Before you can serve, you got to be hooked up with the right power. This seems counterintuitive that the one who has the power ought to be the one who's being, come on, served. Everyone ought to be pandering to my need because I'm in charge. I'm the head of this thing. Everybody ought to be honoring my presence and bowing to my presence. You see, it said he came from God and was going to God, was in God's power. So necessarily, the definition of power contradicts the world's definition of power. In other words, the minute you say you're in God's power, then you got to think about power differently than the world. You see, when we look at creation, we always want to make God this coercive, controlling God, where God is this living presence who's so secure in being God that God will release God's own essence so that you can be. Listen, God, God spoke and said, let it be. Guess what God saying is? That the existence of others is not a threat to my existence. I am so secure in my being, I will release what I need in my being so that you can be. Guess what he just showed you? What real power is. We view power as the capacity to be above somebody, control them, limit them, diminish them, and establish them, box them, design them, tell them, move them, dictate for them, and destine them. But what God says is, you want to know what real power is? It's when you are so full of life that the, the purpose of your existence is to release what you got so somebody else will have it. And he says, I, my power doesn't come from the world's definition of power. My power doesn't come from you. My power comes from a relationship with the God and the character of the power I demonstrate is an extension of that relationship with God and not a function of the embrace of the categories of this world. Because if I embrace your categories, I would knock you all down right now for offending me. All of you would be kissing my ring. But I know the power. See, the tragic consequence, while I'm here, I'm working on an article, and in the article, I'm talking about the shift from theology to snakeology. Snakeology is when the locus of, the, the locus or the focus of your th theological discourse is derived from the consequences of the fall rather than the self-exclusive activity of the divine. When you may use the fall to construct your theology. 
So once you use the fall to construct your theology, you no longer have the God of the first two chapters of Genesis. I'm not a biblical professor. I'm a dilettante when it comes to that. But I still take my risk with my theological interpretation. Now, here's what it means. <laughs> Look, God is the God with you. Once you fall, he's the God over against you. And now God is now defined as the above God. And you are below. Because the God presented by the state is a threatened God who is threatened by your self-discovery and self-expression and wants to keep you in your place. That's the God the state introduces. For when God disclosed God's self, he's the God who is with you, walking with you. And we all of a sudden have shifted from experiencing the God who was with us to trembling before the God who was over us. And that's why Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, to represent the God that mis was misrepresented by the fall. In the beginning, God presented God's self. Sin misrepresented God, and Jesus represents God. And represents what he represents. Now, in a very real sense, once God is over, the, the relational modality of our being godly now is that we honor God when we're over something. Work with me. I'm going to get in trouble. Because we even allow the fact that we're Christians to suggest that we're over other religions. Did Jesus come to create a new religion? Or but to heal broken relationships? Did he come to create a new Phariseeism? Or did he come to call us to a new level of intimacy with God and to each other? Such that even when you don't belong to my religion, I see the God in you because I've authentically discovered the God It's over. See? And then he says, but I'm coming in God's power. And look what God's power does. God's power does not cause me to fight for power. One of the biggest problems I face when I travel around the country are churches in conflict because leadership is fighting for power in the church. But if I am the leader, the last thing I want is the power we're fighting for. Because my power does not come from taking something from you. My power comes from my relationship with God. And what you have is not what I want. I want this relationship with God. So I'm not going to wage war in the church. I'm going to glorify God, walk with God, and demonstrate the power of God. He says, let me show what this power looks like. I get up. Last year I mentioned this, but I'm going to use it again as an illustration. Some of us are missing the great joy, the promise, and the power of ministry. No. I miss the great joy and promise and power. I don't need to speak about anybody else because I was caught into a world of promotion where I was trying to get above. I was even getting a degree so I could be smart and credential. I'm going to let that be simple. <laughs> and I had to discover I'm missing my joy was not because all the things that I was doing for the Lord, I was not connected to the power of the God. I said, I was serving. I have a wonderful wife. She's just a beautiful woman. But my wife would be very animated and passionate both about the Lord and about her work. Where I pastor, I pastor a world congregation that God has blessed and grown. 
you know, from just a, you know, a, a less than a hundred. God has blessed us. And my wife uh, left the school system and came and got her master's in Christian education and now directs the Christian education. Well, as a pastor, I don't go to every meeting. I believe any organization that requires the presence of the leader at every meeting is dysfunctional because it means your leadership team is either incompetent or untrustworthy. If I got to be in every meeting as a pastor to make things work, something's out of order. So they had their meetings, but they had their meetings on Monday night. I don't get to watch football on Sunday night. <laughs> but Monday night? Hmm? Are you ready for something? No. <laughs> Monday night, and my wife comes in about 9.30. Green Bay is playing somebody I can't forget, but I remember. And Green Bay was driving with a two-minute drill. She comes in and she says, John, we had a wonderful meeting. We've already completed the design we want to use for our Spring Institute. And we would like to see if it's possible for us to have so-and-so come. Would you want us to write the letter? You approve it or will you write the letter? I'll write the letter. And we went on. She said, and we did this. My wife comes in and her snack is not milk and cookies. It's sweet toast with peanut butter. <laughs> and then she tells you why. You know, it's got high protein. It's got this and that. And that, and that, and that, and that. She puts the bread in the toaster, and it pops right back up and doesn't work. So she says to me, John, the toaster isn't working. Would you please go back? Sure, sure, hon. Give me a minute. Give me. I want to see just one. Come on. Any of y'all know about two minute drill? <laughs> <laughs> two minutes of running out of bounds. Come on, you know, time out. You know, what? The last, what? 30 minutes. Come on. <laughs> There's much more that I can say, but I'm always attentive to time. 
Because there's a whole lesson in here about how we construct the hierarchy. And once you get caught in the hierarchy, you have to compete with other pastors rather than glorify God. And you go to school to prove you're better than somebody or rather than to offer yourself completely to God. And even in school, you got an in crowd and an out crowd because you're in a competitive hierarchy trying to determine who's the superior in our midst. <laughs> Jesus says, pass my test. Honor me by demonstrating And let me just conclude. Embedded in the text is a promise. He says, if you don't let me do this and you can't do this, then you're not my disciple. Then if I invert that, then if I can do this, if I can practice this in the authentic power and presence of God, then I am Jesus' disciple. And that means that every expression and aspect of power that is in God is now mine. To God. Be the glory that I am a disciple. And I can take off my robes, my vestments, my crosses, my Bible, and do get down and serve somebody. Because I'm strong enough to take off the outer garment and live from the inside out. Notice that Jesus did this when the word says the demonic had already entered in the heart of Judas to betray him. Guess what Jesus just said? Because I walk in the power of God, I do not allow what's on the outside of me to dictate and determine what comes from me. Therefore, my relationship with even Judas is not defined by Judas's behavior, but by my relationship with God. What comes from me huh, does not, is not defined by what comes at me. Because what comes from me is by the power of God in me. And if I allow what's coming at me to determine what comes from me, it means the authority in my life is not the power of God, but what's coming at me. Recompense no man evil or overcome evil with evil. Because I'm in the power. The text says the promise is simply this. You'll be my disciple. And you can't be God's disciple without Jesus' disciple without God taking care of you. If you are walking with Jesus, God will take care of you. God will honor you. And I love if you go to the 17th verse and he says, if you put this into practice, you'll be happy. You'll be joyful. Good news. What is your happiness? Whenever you put this into practice, it means that I don't have to be defined and determined by the competitive hierarchies of this world and be succumbed to the, to the, to the drama of this world. I don't have to play the games people play in order to make myself feel good about myself or to be, be, be believed as somebody having worth. I have worth because the power of God is in me and I'm happy just being me and serving God. I don't have to have this, do this, go this, go there, go where. I'm deliberated from the drama because the truth has set me free. I'm free to live and glorify God in a relationship with the living God. And I don't have to prove anything to you. My call is to glorify God and recognize the power that is in me. Hallelujah. I'm happy. I'm happy. Free. Thank you, God. If I'm really lined up, every promise that's for Jesus is mine. Hallelujah. Jesus gave himself not only with a towel 
but with a nice stretch leg and calories tree. And the outcome of that moment was a movement not into death, but into greater life. And here's what I want you to know. If you pass the talent test, I know what your future's going to be. I don't have to wonder about the graduates in the cemetery. Because the glory of God will be revealed and will be with them. My son, I have a lot of grandchildren. I mentioned uh, Christmas. I may have shared this last year, but it's a powerful image that keeps coming back to me. All of my grandchildren, 18 of my 19 grandchildren, were at the house. I'm a very old maintenance person. We have a very nice house. Amen. And the water's hot, the beds are clean, and the food's good. <laughs> And we're there at Christmas, 18 grandchildren watching a movie. And the movie is, 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 is about these folk going down to the center of the earth. And I've got a grandchild on my neck, hung on my neck, one on each knee, one on the arm of the thing. They're all sitting there. Well, in the midst of the movie, if I may have, uh, this big squid looking thing comes out and starts hating the submarine.